Everybody out, let's go ahead and get started. Page 349, you can keep your seat. Many years of travel on this weary road. What's fleeting changes, tried to share some load. Now my work is finished, it's mighty slow. Happy way. Travel no more, says leaping, falling, steps getting slow. I've been waiting, Lord, to go. Feel little weary sights getting dim. But I have my Savior, I can trust in Him. Many friends are yonder by the river flow. I've been waiting, Lord, to Heavenly sunrise 
that you've had a good week thus far. This is what they call hump day. Amen, Kennedy. That's right. That's right. Um, as far as announcements go, uh, we don't have anything really major to announce right now, but um, we've got a lot on our prayer list already that we need to pray for tonight. We need to remember uh, Sister Jennifer Sykes. Remember her. Uh, she just had surgery on her other hip, had a replacement. And uh, we talked to her this week. She's doing good, and, and uh, but we need to continue praying for her. And I want to ask everybody to really pray for my wife. Uh, she's been having some issues lately, and I carried her to the doctor this morning, and she had had a bone density test done. Her mother was crippled with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, yeah, uh, was very crippled with it. And so I carried Debbie to the doctor, and she had the bone density test done. Well, I carried her today to get the results and, and consult with her about it. And the doctor told her that the bone density test is not good. And... Uh, they're wanting to put her on, you know, doctors are always the first thing they say, let's put you on some medicine. And Debbie said, well, I don't really want to just jump on some medicine, but uh, if you would uh, tell me what else to do. Well, anyway, they told her that she's got to be ultra careful with her walking and, and riding, even riding in a vehicle, they said, if you're riding down a, a road, a bumpy road, you could break something in your body. Your bones are to that point. And so anyway, I, I said all that to say this. I, I know the ladies of this church, I know y'all will pray, but I, I know that you'll take care of her when she's here. She's She's a doer. She's, she's one of them that will grab something and go with it. But uh, help her. If you see her start to pick up a sack of potatoes, 
just knock her down or something like that, you know, and tell her no, she's not going to do that. But no, nah, uh, but just help me watch over my wife while she's here. And I'll do my best to watch over while we're at the house. That's not an easy thing to do at times. But anyway, pray for Miss Deb that God would be with her. We need to pray for Hannah Hurd and Sherry Seabolt, Virginia Bartlett, Nakisha Armour, and Avery Manders. How about your prayer list tonight? John Gober. Anyone else tonight? Anyone else on your hearts to pray for? All right, well, I know that we all need prayer tonight. I need it. Miss Deb needs it. So uh, let's come gather around these altars and at the at the same time if you have any mission money to give or you want to pick up one of these study sheets they're on the table up here but let's all gather around these altars and pray one for the other tonight
Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you tonight. Y'all looking, y'all looking pretty tonight. Of course, y'all can't help that, can you? You wake up and there it is. <laughs> I know. I know that's true with Terry Ransom. All right. Let's take. Uh, if you got your study sheets tonight, let's get those. We're in the Book of Acts, going through the Book of Acts together. And, and uh, we're on our, this is our fourth lesson in the book of Acts, and we're actually going to make it through verse number 11 tonight. And there's so much contained in the book of Acts, especially in the beginning of it. There's so much to set the stage and so much to learn about the book of Acts. But we want to look tonight at verses 9 through 11. And uh, before we begin our study together tonight, uh, Let's pray. Our Father, as we come before you, Lord, thank you for being the God that you are, Lord. You're so wonderful, and we appreciate you being so gracious and kind to us. And Father, tonight as we come before you, Lord, to gather ourselves around the good word of God, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, and Lord, you'd please, Lord, minister to us. And Lord, please touch every one of us. May we truly learn about you. And Father, please bless the, the service, bless the, the youth group and their, their efforts, Lord, to teach and train those about Jesus. Lord, may it all be done for your glory and for your honor. We thank you and love you now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's begin it with our study sheets tonight. Jesus had been with his disciples for a relatively short time. Only a little over three years. He chose common men of the day, fishermen, a tax collector, and others with no reputable titles. These men would be the ones Jesus would use to begin preaching and teaching the greatest message this world has ever heard. Jesus Christ is alive. And yet he is leaving them to witness this phenomenal truth without any physical evidence. If Jesus would only stay with them, the truth would be better received. Oh, there would be still be the doubters and naysayers, but if Jesus would continue to physically walk among them, their message would be more believable. What would it have been like if Jesus had stayed on earth after his resurrection? Would people be more ready to believe? While he was on earth, people were curious about him, and some even fought the crowds just for the chance he would help their particular infirmity. If he were still on earth... Would he be more accessible? A physical Jesus would demand a physical one-on-one -on -one encounter. Would more people have the personal opportunity to meet with Jesus? Some would reply, why, yes, he would do something different after his resurrection to reach more people. And he did. He ascended back to heaven and the third member of the Godhead came into our world to reach every person on a 24-7 schedule. Jesus told them this was the plan before he died on Calvary. In John 16, verses 7 through 15, we read this of what Jesus told his disciples. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come... Look at this. He will reprove, look at this, the world, the world. 
You remember John 3.16? For God so loved what? The world. Now this, this reproving work of, of the Holy Spirit is inclusive of the entire world. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, look at this. Here's the sin that sends any person to hell. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. His sole purpose on this earth, other than reproving sinners of the need for a Savior, is to glorify Jesus Christ. It says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. This reproving work of the Holy Spirit is God's answer for reaching every person with the message of Jesus Christ. The word, word reproved means to convince, to charge with a fault. Every person knows there's something wrong with us. That is why a child will lie to cover up the wrongs. And that is why sinful man is, is so adamantly trying to demand their sinful ways to defend their sinful ways today. If the Holy Spirit had not dealt with them, there'd be no need to try and convince others that their sin is normal. And we hear this a lot today, I was born this way mentality. Yes, they were born that way. They were born with a sinful nature. Uh, Jesus is about to leave so this new ministry of the Holy Spirit may begin. Before we go any further, I, th I believe the Lord has shown me something right here with, with studying this out and, and writing this lesson for tonight where he said the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I believe it was one time Brother Terry asked me the question, what about those who have never heard? And we... Sometimes we consider spreading the gospel only from the human standpoint. We don't consider spreading the gospel from the standpoint of the, the work of God in a person's life. According to the Bible, every person knows that Jesus Christ is alive and that he is willing to save them. Uh, look in your Bibles uh, just for a moment. We'll take a break from the, the lesson. But look in Acts 17. I want to show you something. Look in Acts 17. I, I get asked that question. That's not a, that's not a, a, that is a wonderful question. It's a great question. What about those who have never heard the gospel? And, and we get asked that all the time. But I want you to look at this in Acts 17. In verse number 30. Or let's back up to verse number 29. It says, For much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at what ignorance? When man did think that the Godhead was like gold and silver and precious stones. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now, look at this, but now commandeth all 
men everywhere to repent. Why? Because, here's the reason why, He, God, hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man, that's Jesus Christ, whom He hath ordained, whereof, look at this now, He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. You see, the gospel is a two-sided deal. It not only involves the preachers, the human element, but it's also the God element. And I don't believe God's going to be an unjust God at the judgment bar in that day. I believe He's going to be just in, in, in whatever judgment someone is, is cast upon. And the Bible says that God, in His miraculous way, has dealt with every person about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's given assurance unto all men that he has raised him from the dead. How does God do that? I don't know. I'm not God. I'm not God. And I believe this. I believe God deals with an individual in a certain way. And if they start responding Godward, I believe God will get a human witness to them to tell them the gospel story so they can be saved by the good grace of God. Now that's just Well, anyway, back to our lesson. (laughs) Jesus is about to leave, so this new ministry of the Holy Spirit may begin. Let's first consider out of our text we're going to read tonight, the goodbye of Jesus. In verse 9 of Acts 1, it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he, Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Just before his ascension, Jesus had left them a powerful promise in verse 8. He said this, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These men were hearing about an event that would soon happen in their lives. They are not there yet, but it will happen. It is a promise of a power, a person, a purpose, and a potential. This same promise is still being fulfilled in the lives of some Christians today. It is a promise that could be and should be realized in every child of God's life. If every Christian would allow the Holy Spirit, His desire of leading and controlling each of us, we could turn this world upside down. But the sad reality of Christianity is that too many of God's people do not understand the purpose nor the potential that we are afforded as a child of God. Listen to these words out of Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to, look at it, the power that worketh in us. We say too many times we can't. We can't. That's not me. That's not my, my personality. That's not me. But God says, you can. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life must be surrendered to by the individual Christian. So many times we wrestle and struggle with things in this life. If only we understood that the Holy Spirit is always working in us and we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. 
We falter when we do not allow his power to control us. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Many misinterpret this passage, but what is presented is that God is working in us to will and do of his good pleasure. Our response should be to allow what he is working in us to be worked out through our lives. If God is dealing with you to witness to someone, you should not quench that moment, but rather allow that urging of the Spirit to be accomplished through your obedience. The examples could go on and on, but that is how the Holy Spirit works in us today. Again, if every Christian lived by this rule, we could turn this world upside down. Jesus leaves his disciples this promise, and after he spoke these words unto them, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. What a sight that must have been. One minute Jesus is among them, then the next he begins rising upward and going home. This event is called the ascension. Jesus spoke of this moment before and after the resurrection in John 6, verse 62. This is the passage where the, uh, the Lord had several people walk out on him. It said in John 6, 62, what? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. And then in John 20, 17 to Mary, he said this, Touch me not. For I'm not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. When Jesus leaves these men, their lives completely change. And their life of faith begins. One minute they're living by sight, and the next moment they're living by faith. The disciples were accustomed to seeing Jesus and even demanded physical proof from him. Doubting Thomas will now need to learn the greater blessing of living by faith. The disciples told Thomas that they had seen the resurrected Jesus and he did not believe them. His response was demanding and faithless. In John 20 verse 25 says this, The other disciples therefore said unto him, That would be Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas wanted to see for himself and with that, that evidence, no amount of talking could, would change his mind. Eight days later, later, Jesus pays Thomas a visit and has a stern pronouncement for him. We read on in that same text in verse 26 through 29. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. Look at this. The doors being shut. The, body, the resurrected body of Jesus Christ didn't even need to open the door. He walked right through it. The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. And behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas said, I don't believe Thomas ever touched him. I believe, 
I believe Thomas saw the Lord standing there and Jesus offered himself to him. And I believe Thomas actually just, just believed. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Living by faith is more rewarding and meaningful than living by sight. We all have seen things happen and what we saw rocked our world. Not everything we see is good. Can I get a witness right there? But then faith steps in and goes beyond the reaches of our eyes and we see him who is invisible standing there with us. We do not see him physically, but by faith we know he is there. And while we're going through our experience, someone on the other side of the world is experiencing the same moment with him. Living by faith enlarges our sight, expands our understanding, and enriches our lives far beyond anything we could ever see with our physical eyes. As a matter of fact, faith has its own set of eyes. We read this in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The disciples watch as long and as far as they possibly could. And then he is gone from their sight. On the other side though, Jesus is now being seen again by the heavenly host and his father. It was not a casual reunion. Jesus loved his father and his father loved him. What a reunion they must have had. Not only was it a grand reunion, but Jesus also came home a different way. He now has a body that bore the marks of Calvary upon it. The body that was tortured, bruised, beaten, spit upon, and had nails driven through it is now setting in heaven. We know this to be true because in a prophetic passage concerning the return of Jesus Christ, someone will ask him about his wounds. We read of this in Zechariah 13, verse 6, where it says, And one shall say unto him, this will be Jesus, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he, Jesus, shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. These are the wounds Thomas wanted to see before he would believe. These are the wounds by which we are saved. These are the wounds John sees when he is caught up into heaven. Revelation 5, 6, John is caught up into the heaven in chapter 4 and verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 6, he says this, and he said, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. It was a body designed for Calvary. In Hebrews 10, 5, we read these words, Wherefore, when he cometh, talking about Jesus, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Look at this. But a body thou hast prepared me. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And now all of heaven witnessed Jesus returning in a different form. He sits down on the right hand of his father and begins a new ministry of high priest and intercessor for us all. 
We have a representative in heaven who has now opened the door and made it possible for whosoever to enter into heaven. Jesus had told his disciples at their last meal together that the bread he broke in front of them represented his body. His body would be broken for them. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We are to remember what Jesus did for us at Calvary through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. But Jesus is constantly reminded through the wounds in his body. The only thing Jesus carried home with him when he ascended are the wounds made in his body by sinful man. Matthew 26, verse 45. You ever heard that, that story of Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God and it broke out in revival and it spread far and wide and continued several years. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. It was, it was one of those meetings that he was not supposed to meet. He was not supposed to preach. He was just there attending the meeting. But the preacher who was supposed to be there did not show up. So they asked Jonathan Edwards, would you, would, you got anything prepared? He said, I do. I just fin finished a manuscript. And it said, they said that the, the lighting was so dim that he actually took his manuscript and held it right up to him like this and read that manuscript, Sinners, in the hands of an angry God and revival broke out. Well, I want you to look at this as completely reversed in this text in, in Matthew chapter, where are we at? Matthew chapter 26, 45. It says, Then cometh he, this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest. He said, Then cometh his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hours are come, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jonathan Edwards preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now this is Jesus being delivered into the hands of angry sinners. The only perfect person we ever had walk among us was Jesus Christ, and we crucified Him. That is how sinful we are, but Jesus gladly bore those wounds to atone for our sins. In Isaiah 53, 5, we read these words, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Secondly, let's consider this out of our text. In verse 10 and 11, the gazing of the disciples. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? What a sight. Jesus going home. They looked steadfastly as he went up. The word literally means to stretch the eyes. They squinted their eyes and got every view they possibly could until the cloud covered him from their sight. Faith stepped in. Now we all see through a glass darkly, the Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then one day face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known even as I am known. The disciples saw him leave. We who are saved will see him return. 
The lives of the disciples were changed from sight to faith. One glorious day, the Christian's life will change from faith to sight. It is as though it is a circle. Where it started, we shall end. The Bible declares this truth to be so. It all began with the creation of heaven and earth. And it will end with the creation of a new heaven, a new earth. We read about these two events in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Then in Revelation 21.1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. We were given dominion over God's first creation. And as Brother Terry was praying one day, and I'll never forget this, Brother Terry, when you prayed and said, Lord, we've messed this place up. And we have totally messed it up. Can I get a witness right there? We have messed this world up. The only hope and only recourse are for God to create a new one. And thank God he certainly will. This new creation will be right. In 2 Peter 3.13, we read these words. Nevertheless, we, those of us who are saved, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I can't even fathom what that's going to be like. <laughs> to live in a place where there's no sin, no sorrow, no heartache, nothing there to make you upset. You know what it's called? It's called heaven. <laughs> huh. I believe, I believe God just let some things happen in our lives down here just to prove to us this ain't heaven. If it is, get me out. <laughs> if you can't believe the truth of how it all began, you will certainly never believe the truth of how it all will end. It must be a sad life to believe in the suppositions and theories of science and evolution. They all want to tell us how they think it began, and yet... None of them were around when it began. They certainly cannot tell us how it would end, for none of them have conquered death to come back and tell us the ending story. But there is one who was there in the beginning who also conquered death to tell us the rest of the story, and his name is Jesus. Why not trust him? The scientist says, it, says as Thomas did, I can't believe unless I see. Yet Jesus said, Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. The wonderful truth is that the Christian can keep looking up because we have believed. We read these words of Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. How would you like to live in this world down here without any thoughts of a better life? No thoughts of heaven. No thoughts of a greater life waiting on you. This is it. Whew. That's a miserable life. You know it. That's a miserable life. And finally, we want to look at the good news of the men. In Acts 1, 10, and 11, we read this. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Another promise to believe in. Jesus is coming back. Two men enter the setting and, and ask them why they are gazing into heaven. 
These two men ask their question, then deliver some more good news. Jesus is coming back. These two men are probably the same two angels who did the same thing at the empty grave on resurrection morning. They ask a question and then give a profound announcement. Read about that in Luke 24, verses 3 through 6. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. They said unto them, Why? They asked the question, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Then the wonderful news, He is not here, but is risen. These two men are described further in Scripture as being positioned in a certain place when Mary sees them. In John 20, verse 11 and 12, we read this, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and saw two angels in white setting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. The reason the Bible emphasizes their placement is very interesting. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. On the top was the mercy seat, and this would be the place where God's presence would emanate from when he met with the nation of Israel. On, the other, on either side of the presence of God were placed two cherubim who covered the mercy seat with their wings. Now at the place where Jesus' body had lain, sat two angels, one at the head, the other at the feet, representing the two cherubim over the mercy seat. The tabernacle would no longer be needed to house the Ark of the Covenant because Jesus was alive. His mercy now comes from an empty grave. This also was claiming that Jesus was the same one on the mercy seat of the Old Testament. In both appearances of these two angels, they ask a question, and then they reveal good news concerning Jesus. He's not here, and he's coming back. Jesus will return, return just like the scriptures declare. And there are many verses which promise this truth. All through the Old Testament, the promise of a coming Savior was described and declared. And one day it happened just like they promised. Jesus was born of a virgin and came to our world. We are promised this truth. Jesus is coming back. At times it is so real to us. And at other times, we may wonder of this truth. But that at the appointed time of our Father, Jesus will return. We should live each day with the knowledge that He could come and with the hope that He will. This is what loving His appearing looks like in action. Alexander McLaren said these words. He said, the apostolic church, meaning the very beginning church, the apostolic church thought more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than about death in heaven. The early Christians were looking not for a cleft in the ground called a grave, but for a cleavage in the sky called glory. <laughs> in Hebrews 9, 28, it says this, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> It could be tonight. Are you ready? Is everybody ready to go? <laughs> if you couldn't say amen honestly right there, please talk to me right after service. We'll be glad to sit down with you and talk and
and help you with that matter because that's the most important thing in anybody's life is knowing when Jesus comes, you're going with him. Amen? All right, let's all stand. You, we'll close in a word of prayer and then you can be dismissed. Brother Jeff, would you dismiss us tonight?